With anything nutrition, it's always going to vary based on the individual and their goals. Is your goal weight loss or is your goal performance or is your goal just longevity? And that is going to determine how important nutrient timing is for you. Obviously, there are some rules that apply across the board, right? Your daily calorie intake is more important than your nutrient timing. If overall you're not eating enough calories throughout the day, it doesn't matter if you're consuming carbs pre and post workout. Welcome to Consistency Breeds Growth Radio. I am your host, Justin Romare. Our incredible guest and myself talk about the cutting edge science and consistency necessary to reach your weight loss, wellness, and performance goals. If you have nutrition goals, we have customized nutrition programs and coaches that tell you how much, when, and what to eat for every single meal. And the best part, you don't need to calculate macros in an app. Ditch the calculators. Want to learn more about our intrinsic diet? Let one of our coaches know you listen to this podcast to get 10% off. Do you own a gym or attend a gym that wants to make some money and throw a top-notch nutrition challenge with a team of certified nutrition coaches? Our team will guide your members through a nutrition challenge customized for your gym. And you'll make money for each member who signs up. If you want more information about working with us one-on-one or in a gym setting, head over to consistencybreedsgrowth.com or email us at consistencybreedsgrowth at gmail.com. We will also put links in the show notes. Enjoy the podcast. Science. All right, we're back with another episode of CBG Radio. We're here to talk about a special, special topic today. But first, I want to know if you're on our free Facebook page. On the Facebook page, every month we run free nutrition challenges. They're little mini challenges that you could be a part of for further accountability and be able to do with a group. We just finished our water challenge, uh, or we're fixing to finish our water challenge, and we're going to do another special challenge starting uh, in April. So if you're not on our Facebook page, you definitely want to be there. And to join, all you need to do is go to www.facebook.com slash groups slash CBG Nutrition Tribe to join. All right, so be there. I'll definitely accept you. Just get over to our Facebook page. Today, we're going to talk about a really special topic with a really special person. So our newest CBG coach, Emily Wagner, is going to be on the podcast today. She's passionate about lifting, nutrition, and all things health and fitness. She figured this out early in high school launched it right into her college career. Uh, she had she pursued her degree in dietetics and her NASM fitness nutrition specialist certification. Uh, she also has her bachelor's degree in nutrition and she's as she was commissioned as a US Army officer and worked as a nutrition coach for multiple gyms on the East Coast. She uh, more recently received her registered dietitian's license and has helped countless individuals including various CrossFit Games athletes, uh, as well as Division I athletes at the University of Maryland, where she is currently an Olympic Sports Nutrition Fellow. And she is the newest coach at Consistency Breeds Growth. We hired her, I hired her, a month ago, a month, two, what, what was it, Emily, a month ago, a month and a half ago? I don't know. Is it, <laughs> does time really a thing anymore? <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but uh, we are obviously thrilled to have you a part of the CBG team. And then we're also thrilled to talk to you about the topic today, which is, should you eat like 
Matt Frazier, basically. But we're going to talk about a lot of performance stuff, too. But for those of you that don't know, Matt Frazier talked very briefly. Obviously, he didn't give his entire story in terms of what he eats on a you know, daily basis, but he did hint at some things he does for recovery uh, in terms of performance for his nutrition. And um, we want to go through a couple of those things and, and talk about what are the benefits, what are p- the potential downsides, and then is it something that you should be doing based off of where you're at in your CrossFit competitive career. So, Emily, what's going on today? Not much, Justin. Thanks for the intro. I uh, I love the title. I think that's going to be super eye-catching for people and really kind of light the fire should you eat like Matt Frazier, right? The fittest meal on earth. Everyone wants to train like him, so should you eat like him too? I think that's going to be a fun one to dig into. Yeah, there's so much that he talked about there, and then obviously there are so many other things that he didn't talk about, so it's hard to know if he's implementing some of those things. I think one of the first things that he sort of mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast was uh, he talked about post-workout. What is he taking in post-workout? He talked about Gatorade. He talked about Snickers. What are some of the best both protein and post-workout carbohydrate options that athletes typically have available to them that they should be consuming post-workout? So, Not a Snickers bar and a Coke would probably not be my first go-to. I get the theory there, and we see this all the time with nutrition, where there's a principle applied, and I see where that was, it it was tried to follow as far as like research principles, uh, but just misapplied, kind of missed the mark a little bit. So the Snickers bar is okay in the sense that it's got a lot of sugar, right? So that's fast digesting carbs that are going to get into your bloodstream quickly, get delivered to your muscles, start the recovery process and all of that. But it's also got a good amount of fat in it. And Justin, I think you looked up the uh, nutrition profile of this. I think said something like 22 grams of fat per bar. Is that right? Yeah. Depending on whether it's the regular size or the like the king size, it can be anywhere from like, uh, I think like 12 grams of fat up to like 25 or something like that. So yeah, pretty significant amount of fat. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's something we're definitely going to try to limit um, in that post-workout period because basically what happens, I like to kind of, you ever hear someone say, if you can't explain it to a toddler, you don't understand it. I always try to do that. So basically if we talk about protein, carbs, and fat, so We're going to talk about carbs as our car, right? Protein is going to be our passenger and then fat is going to be the construction on the highway. Um, So basically what we're doing is pairing the protein and carbs, getting them on their way to the muscles to start that recovery process. But then you're going to use fat and that's going to slow the digestion and absorption of those protein and carbs and delay that process. It's kind of a direct relationship as far as as the fat goes up, that process is going to be more delayed, right? So if we're worried about, you know, two to three grams, not a big deal, um, but we're talking about something significant, like I wouldn't recommend eating an avocado uh, immediately after you finish your workout. That's going to slow things down a little bit. And then as far as like types, so for carbs, we're looking for that fast digesting, quick hit kind of thing. Some really interesting research because a lot of people navigate directly towards fruit, which is great. A lot of people, you know, whether they follow paleo or some sort of diet plan, they immediately are like, okay, fruit is something that I can have, which is great. But we see that the amount of the rate of digestion and absorption of the fructose from that fruit, which is the fruit sugar, is limited. So really best case scenario, we are pairing fruit with some other sort of carb. So you might think like 
okay, fruit on a piece of bread or maybe some fruit and, um, I don't know, something along those lines that is going to be more glucose-based, not Coke. Coke would be glucose, right? Because that is that quick, simple sugar. But I would question what the long-term consequences are of slamming a Coke a day after your workout. And then proteins, right? So protein, you can kind of get away with anything. I would definitely suggest whey. That is an animal protein. So it is the most bioavailable to your body, which basically means that it is the it's the best absorbed and utilizing quickest to break down by your body versus something like a plant protein, which would be, you know, beans, peanut butter, tofu, soy, that kind of thing. As long as so circling back to that, that animal protein that way, the only thing I'd really probably not recommend is something like a Greek yogurt or a casein protein immediately after a workout, because that has a little bit more slower digesting protein. So it's going to slow down the rate that your body can get that recovery process started. Does that all make sense? Yeah, that does. And it's super interesting. So I want to start back with what you said about the fat at the beginning. So fat in and of itself digests and absorbs very slowly. So eating it around a workout time doesn't seem to be optimal, which is why the Snickers, for example, is maybe not the best choice. But you also mentioned, which is super interesting, that fat will slow down the digestion of other uh, in absorption of other things that you're taking in your body at the same time. So those fast metabolizing sugars could potentially be uh, stunted in terms of how fast they digest and absorb because of the fat that you're taking in with them. Is that right? Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's crazy. So definitely you want to avoid fat at all costs. And I think, you know, like you said, the fructose is definitely not an ideal source, uh, which is the sugar predominantly found in fruit for post-workout. But I think that there are also some studies that show like sort of that combo, like you said, fruit plus white bread or fruit fruit plus dextrose in your protein powder or something. Because I think the mechanism is something involved with the liver, like the fructose will will, uh, primarily fuel the liver and then the glucose will bypass the liver and go directly into your muscle. Of course, there's probably more research that needs to be done, but this is something that I've heard sort of as a mixture um, of two different sugars that can be beneficial post-workout for people. Yeah. And I actually, I love what you said about the dextrin, right? So like cyclic dextrin is a powder that you can, it's usually flavorless that you can put into anything. So if we're asking, okay, what does this look like in practice? Maybe that is some, you know, a banana with a protein shake with some cyclic dextrin in it, because that's going to check off all of your boxes for fast digesting carbs, protein, and with it being liquid, it's also, it gets into the body and absorbed and used a little bit quicker. Obviously to each their own, that's not saying you have to drink a protein powder to make gains or anything like that. But if we're finding that like, okay, here's maybe something that might be an optimal option for you, I think that's great. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's way better than a Coke with high fructose corn syrup and some other, <laughs> you know, detrimental. I mean, it's great. Like the calories are good and Coke is good, but to routinely uh, drink Cokes is, uh, seems a bit, not a good idea. So something a little bit more pure, like a, a cyclodextrin, like you said, with a banana in there or an apple or whatever it is with your whey protein powder. What, what are your recommendations for people that might have uh, whey sensitivity? So obviously since whey is a milk protein, Some people find themselves sensitive to this specific type of protein. Is there a protein alternative for those people? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like I said, just 
just because it's recommended doesn't mean it's something you have to do. And if you can't, that you're going to miss out. There are plenty of uh, plant-based protein powders. What you would look for for those is something that has mixed sources of essential amino acids. So maybe not purely pea protein or purely hemp protein, a mixture of the two or something like that. Also, whole food sources are always great. If I've seen people, I've seen people in the gym eat cold chicken breast out of a bag after a workout. And I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying it's an option and there is something that you could do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that animal proteins obviously are good, like whole, whole food sources. And uh, just to get in your daily protein amount is super important. So that I think that brings us like really nicely into the next thing that sort of seems pretty important for performance athletes is all around nutrient timing. So we are, we already sort of chatted a little bit about the fat and the protein and some other things, but is nutrient timing super important? Because I know that, you know, five years ago when I first started my journey as a nutrition coach, nutrient timing was like, you have to be doing nutrient timing. And then they found like, oh, well, if you're looking for weight loss, it may actually not be as important as we originally thought. You could kind of spread things out throughout the day the way that you want. But for performance athletes, is nutrients timing still something that people should be focusing on in their nutritional protocols? Yeah. I mean, with anything nutrition, it's always going to vary based on the individual and their goals. I think what you said is really important about, okay, is your goal weight loss or is your goal performance or, you know, is your goal just longevity? And that is going to determine how important nutrient timing is for you. Obviously, there are some rules that apply across the board, right? Your daily calorie intake is more important than your nutrient timing. If overall you're not eating enough calories throughout the day, it doesn't matter if you're consuming carbs pre and post workout. We need to increase everything altogether. But as far as someone looking to, right, it's kind of like if we look at it on a hierarchy, um, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's okay. So at the bottom, we have calorie intake, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have macros and then we have nutrient timing. So it's kind of like we want to make sure that we are nailing the overall daily calorie intake and macronutrient split before we really start worrying about nutrient timing or really stressing out about it because some people really make it a big deal. Yeah. Um, but for performance athletes, yes, absolutely. Especially a lot of them are doing multiple sessions a day. Um, and so to be able to recover from that and continue to perform, nutrient timing becomes super important. Yeah, I love that. And I love your hierarchy. I, I, It's almost like, you know, you have the calories at the bottom, however many calories you need in a day to fulfill your whatever your, it is that your goals are, whether that's weight loss or body recomposition or performance. And then you have the macronutrients. So how much protein, how much carbs and how much fat should you be eating? And then you have the nutrient timing, then probably something like food composition, like what food you're selecting. Like, are you selecting the Snickers? Or are you selecting the banana? You know, and then supplements right. probably like way at the top. For me personally, though, I think that the nutrient timing and food composition actually reverses for weight loss clients. I think maybe, and I, I'm not. Uh, this is obviously per, could be person dependent too, but based off of goals, just solely goal the goals of of someone. Do you think that food composition? becomes third and nutrient timing becomes even less important and becomes fourth. And then for performance athletes, it flips. It's more of a nutrient timing third and food composition fourth. I think I would agree with that. 
a lot of the times when I'm looking at food composition or trying to help someone improve their nutrition, I try to involve the conversation of food quality Mm -hmm. in that macro conversation because a lot of the times with macros, we see a lot of the if it fits your macros type thing, um, which I totally support balance in all things. But I try to have that conversation of, okay, what kinds of foods are you choosing within those macronutrients? Because it does matter. Um, But like you said, for performance athletes, a lot of it's very individualized, right? Like Matt might just love Snickers and that really works for him. And so he does that, which is great. That's totally fine for someone else that might make them feel like crap after a workout. And so, okay, let's not do that. So it's kind of like you have to figure out what works for you and for, for athletes and not so worried about, is that a, is that a granola bar or is that, you know, organic fruit kind of thing? Right. I know for Saxon, we have a couple of differences depending on the actual session he's doing. So like if he's doing an aerobic session that he's sweating a lot, we typically will supplement post-workout with Gatorade plus his whey protein powder, right? Gatorade has like a variety of electrolytes in it, primarily sodium. And then for his uh, like strength in uh, more, you know, for time sessions, right, where they're not interval style, really high intensity stuff, not, you know, zone two, zone three stuff, we'll have them supplement instead with like a cyclodextrin powder or a carbogain or something similar to that with his whey protein powder. So, yeah, I think that they're like, just saying like a Snickers bar is is oversimplification of mass nutrition in general, but also it, it you know, it could be something that just works primarily for him, right? And not for a lot of other people, even if they have the same goals as him. Right, right. And a lot of the times what you find with a lot of the high level athletes is they are the exception, not the rule, which I think is important yes. to note. And I think a lot of it comes down to just because you can doesn't mean you should. Like you said, if if he can and that makes him feel good and he gets away with that, totally fine. But then we have to marry that with what does that mean for long-term health? Does that have an effect? Because with with these competitive athletes, it's always a question of what where is the balance between optimal and something that's going to support your longevity? That's always an important conversation. Yeah, I think the more important conversation of that is the longevity principle staying in the sport and still competing, right? Like you had the longevity of like being alive, right? Like do you want to live to 70, 80, 90, right? That's one conversation. But then the other conversation is like do you want to do CrossFit for five years or do you want to do CrossFit for 10 years, 15 years, a big difference and your nutrition could have like a pretty huge and significant impact on your duration in the sport you know yeah yeah absolutely okay one thing we didn't talk about so we talked about protein basically we want protein throughout the day but we want that whey protein shake or alternative post-workout we want carbohydrates around our workout super important and we want fat away from the workout what about like things like fiber yeah, so fiber is is a finicky thing. Um, it's kind of like, we call it the Goldilocks of the micronutrients because you have to find that sweet spot between too much and too little because there is so, too much of a good thing here. Fiber definitely away from workouts. So fiber is also going to slow digestion and make things move a little slower. Um, so that's why we say things like 
you can do white bread post-workout. That's fine. Um, Fiber primarily plays an important role in digestive health, but also helping promote feelings of fullness and satiety. And that's not really something we're worried about immediately post-workout. Something like white bread that doesn't have fiber, and we might recommend something like whole wheat bread or whole grain bread in an alternative situation that isn't immediately post-workout. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that, um, yeah, like you said, fiber can be a little bit complex. And I think the most important thing with all this is like, like when you're working out, right, like you're trying to transport oxygenated blood to working muscle tissue, right? You're not really trying to transport and help digestion at that time. Your body's not thinking about doing that, right? You're almost like in a state where you're being attacked by a bear, right? Like when you're in the midst of 21.2, you're doing these burpee box jump overs, right? Like you are like, it is the closest thing your body recognizes probably, for you being attacked by a bear, like your heart rate is skyrocketing. It, it just, that's all it knows, right? It doesn't know exactly what you're doing. It just knows that your physical activity is very high, right? And that's really no time to be digesting difficult things, right? Whether it's soluble or non-soluble fiber and then uh, like fat, like we mentioned before, like things that are, you know, take a while to digest. It can be very disruptive to the gastrointestinal system and we don't, we definitely don't want any problems there, right? In the middle of a workout or after, right? So, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love talking about the uh, the caveman brain and kind of comparing things, right? Like if you are running from a tiger or getting attacked by a bear, your body is shutting off digestion. It does not care about whatever you just ate. It is just trying to survive. It has no idea you're purposely doing a CrossFit workout. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. And uh, that's why, unfortunately, a lot of people that, uh, especially competitive athletes that may not work with a nutrition coach or understand, uh, you know, about these nutrient timing principles will find themselves, you know, throwing up after a workout or in the middle of a workout or feel sick, right? Because they're taking in, they eat peanut butter right before they go to the gym, um, Mm -hmm. which is definitely not, not optimal for, you know, performance or, you know, obviously you know, being able to stunt digestion so that you can just focus on the workout at hand. So I think that that's a super important thing. If you take away anything about this timing thing, like just try to have carbs um, around the workout time and fat, not, especially not before and after. I think that's probably the number one tip I could give on uh, nutrient timing for athletes in general. Yeah. Carbs, 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 carbs. <laughs> carbs, carbs, carbs. Eat them carbs. Exactly. All right. Let's see. So now this is probably a complex question. It is a complex question. I already know before I answer it, but I'm going to ask, ask you anyway. Are there any specific target macros for athletes based off of body weight? Let's let's just let, let's narrow it down to the CrossFit athlete, right? Someone um, that's competitive in CrossFit. They want to elevate performance. How many calories do they need? And then approximately, it doesn't be like perfect, right? And then what are, how many calories should they be thinking about getting like from shakes, like protein shakes? So again, the answer is always going to be some variation of it depends. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to say for CrossFit athletes exactly how many calories they need. If we break it up, it's into categories of like male and female, right? Mm -hmm. So females were 
almost always looking at more than 2,000. Um, males generally looking at more than 2,500. Again, that's like a very broad generalization of things. It's definitely going to depend on what your lifestyle looks like outside of the gym, what your diet dieting history has looked like, uh, all of those kinds of things, how often you're working out, how long you're working out, all of that stuff. Generally, I try to recommend limiting the amount of calories you're getting from liquids just because they don't promote really feelings of fullness um, and they're kind of just calories to serve a purpose outside of or that really only serve a purpose for that recovery and refueling aspect. If you, you know, are, let's use 2000 for a really simple example. If, you know, you're on a 2000 calorie macro target and you're consuming half of that from liquids, you're going to be really hungry throughout the day. A thousand calories isn't much to get by on in food. However, if you are an athlete like Matt, who is doing, I would imagine, I don't know, three or four sessions a day and his needs are upwards of probably, I would imagine, four to five thousand, to be honest, that's a lot of food to crush. That's going to leave him feeling really full a lot of the time, even if he's choosing simple carbs and stuff like that food, that much food is just going to be uncomfortable to train that often during the day. So liquid calories are a great way for him to get the energy he needs while still being able to basically constantly train all day. So so really it depends, but I would I can I guess kind of a generalization is the more often you're training, the more you can get away with more helpful those liquid calories are going to be. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I completely agree with what you said about trying to limit most of your calories from shakes, not getting them from shakes specifically. And I love that you put, you gave us the calorie amount. So for women that do CrossFit, it's around 2,000 plus. And then for men, yeah. it's 2,500. And I think it's important to note that because a lot of people that are doing CrossFit right now are significantly under eating, right? Uh, and it's very yeah. important. You know, even if the, you're going to CrossFit five days a week, as a female, you need to have more than 2,000 calories a day, you know? Um, yeah, unless you're absolutely. like at the I end can... of your weight loss phase or something like you're doing a weight loss phase and like you're maybe at like 1700 or 1600 or something like that. Um, and you're right. not there for very long, right? You're not like, Hey, I'm on 1600 for two months. Like, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> so that would be the only reason that you're below that threshold. Right. So, but yeah, there are obviously, like you said, so many varying amounts, like for men, it's over 2,500, but Matt's probably close to around 4,500 or 5,000, right? And he did say on the Joe Rogan podcast that he probably gets two to 3,000 calories from just shakes alone, which I think probably is not true. I think it's probably lower than that. That's a lot of calories just from liquid. And obviously, you already explained the detriments of that. There's just so many benefits of like actual real food that you just can't get in a shake. It's just not possible. You yeah. Know, vitamins, minerals, you know, micronutrients, other things like that. So I would be very surprised if he's actually getting two to three thousand. First off, two to three thousand is a drastic range of calories, especially when we're talking about that being close to half your the calories he probably eats, and to be getting all of that from liquid. Uh, seems to be a bit of an overestimate on his part, but it could be true. But the thing is that if it is, it's probably, it's too much, right? Yeah, I think, so in working with 
collegiate football players, right? We do a lot of their shakes post practice. Mm-hmm. And it would it would really depend on what he is putting in those shakes. And I imagine it's not what will be required to get the 2,000 to 3,000 calories. So what we do for those players is like ice cream and frozen fruit and juice yeah. and protein powder. And I just have a hard time believing. And I think Sammy, his fiance, does a lot of his nutrition. Yeah. Um, I would have a hard time believing she's dumping scoops of vanilla bean ice cream in his post-workout shakes. Yeah. I mean, if it, they would make more sense to me if they were doing that though. Like that would like that if they're, if she's making them Hulk shakes, then I could be wrong. He could actually be getting like 2,500 calories from shakes, you know, and he is training a lot three or four times a day, most likely. So it could very well be that he, it just depends on, like you said, what's in the shakes. Uh, I didn't think about that at all. makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's possible, again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a question of maybe you can do it, but should you, should do, you it? do it? And you mentioned this to me last week when we talked about this podcast before we decided like we were going to have you on and we're going to talk about this for the audience. But you were saying like some people just like hit the genetic lottery, dude, like – they're just yeah. genetic anomalies in this world. Yeah, and it wouldn't matter what they did or didn't eat. They would still crush everyone. Someone, A lot of people just have those genetics. And what happens a lot of the time is they can get away with things. And then the issue we face is that they, they talk about these. They have these huge platforms and they talk about these things. And the general public gets really confused because Frazier's crushing Snickers and, you know, a lot of people are just doing really strange things that don't apply to the general population. Mm-hmm. But they're like, well, the fittest man on earth is doing it. And it's like, yeah, but he could do whatever he wanted and still be the fittest man on earth. That doesn't that doesn't apply to you, unfortunately. So right. it's it's tough as a nutrition professional to constantly be explaining why what they're doing might not work because they see these people and want to be like them and trust them because they're seeing those results. And it's just, you know, they have the genetics and they can do it. And most of us just can't. Just can't do it. Yeah. This is the last sort of thing that he mentioned. And I can't tell you how many previous clients and current clients we have that texted me after they heard this. And it's a supplement that he mentioned that he takes on the podcast. And we already talked about in this very podcast about 20 minutes ago, we talked about how supplements are the very last thing you need to be worrying about as both an athlete or someone trying to lose weight or just improve their body composition as a, you know, being in the world of CrossFit supplements are the last thing. And all the texts that I got were about a freaking supplement. I couldn't believe it. But anyways, now you know the hierarchy. Don't text me about a supplement anymore. Uh, (laughs) If you're not doing any of the other things that we already talked about. But the supplement that he mentioned, he's like, why? I don't understand why more people don't take beta alanine. Uh, He takes it every day. He freaking loves it. He said it's it's one of the greatest things that he supplements with. And I'm going to dig into the science on this a little bit. I like to give the listeners a little bit of science. You know, they can learn a little bit, right? So uh, the beta alanine, so it's supposed to help buffer H plus ions, it's acidity that builds up in the muscle, right? Mm-hmm. 
So basically from glycolysis, we have a glucose molecule, we have NAD, we have ADP, and we have phosphate groups, and that gets converted right into into energy based off of the breakdown of that molecule and then other substrates like uh, pyruvate uh, and basically pyruvate can excess pyruvate goes to lactic acid lactic acid and then lactic acid breaks down into uh, into H plus and lactate and the H plus ions in the muscle are, are apparently what attribute to the burning sensation and muscle fatigue right lowering the pH of the, you know, the muscle that if you're doing wall balls, your legs, you know, you, this interference can affect a variety of mechanisms in terms of energy output, right? So what beta alanine has been shown to do, as well as um, sodium bicarbonate, are, are bases, they're buffering supplements uh, that can help stunt uh, the amount of acidity that, and the lower pH that builds up in the actual in the actual muscle, right? And yeah, it's, uh, so that's the science behind it. There are some studies that show that that's actually the case, but there are so many different mechanisms as to why like muscle fatigue occurs. Um, there are mechanisms related to calcium, you know, deposits, you know, coming out of the, uh, muscle cells. And then they also have uh, energy substrate, you know, uh, mechanisms that that talk about a variety of uh, of different things where you know transport of nutrients aren't getting to the right space at the place at the right time, you know, and that obviously, you know, attributes to insufficient oxygen flow and getting that to where it needs, which can also stunt, uh, you know, energy output in general, especially in CrossFit workouts. So there's so many different mechanisms, and that's sort of the what seems to be one benefit of beta alanine or sodium bicarbonate like in this you know world of you know lactic acid h plus ion buildup and muscle fatigue um so i think that if you're doing everything already that we already talked about in the podcast so like if you're getting in the right calories so like if you're if you're eating under 2000 calories and you're a woman doing crossfit like you're not going to get this bicarbonate supplement or beta beta alanine and immediately like your performances are going to like double, you know, like nothing's probably going to happen to you to be honest. But if you're doing all the other stuff we talked about, getting in the calorie requirement, the correct micronutrients, the nutrient timing, good foods, good quality foods, and not getting a bunch of stuff from shakes, you can likely start experimenting with supplements like beta alanine and bicarbonate, right? Does that make sense, Emily? Did, I mean, I know he mentioned this on the podcast briefly. It's what he takes and everybody's like clinging on to it. So I just kind of wanted to like give a debrief about what it is and how it could benefit people. That does make sense. I think I think a lot of it has to do with people love sensationalism. They love things they haven't heard of or like new hacks, right? That's why these yeah. fad diets get so get so much traction because they're cool, they're sexy, they're new. And so a lot of people potentially haven't heard of beta alanine and are like, oh, this is this is the missing link. This is going to, you know, fix everything. My performance is going to be amazing. And like you said, for a lot of people, it's like, hey, have you thought about these fundamental things that you could fix that are really going to help your performance versus, you know, just reaching for this new easy thing that you can take a scoop of and believe that your performance is going to 
be amazing. Yeah. And for just as many studies that I've seen that beta alanine actually works and people uh, seem to have increased performance benefits, I've seen equal as many studies showing that the H plus acidity in, uh, in, in your muscle uh, is actually not the cause of you know, you basically running out of uh, intensity and energy in specific workouts. And there are other mechanisms that I sort of alluded to that are likely bigger contributors. So, you know, like going up and picking up this supplement that's probably overpriced in general, if you're not doing all those other things seems to just be not a really, really smart idea. And you hit it on the nose when you said like, oh, this is something no one's heard of before. And they want to try it because they think it's that missing link. I 100% agree with that. And yeah, we see that all the time with these fad diets. You know, there's a new diet. It's got a new name. It catches some buzz. And before you know it, it doesn't matter. It could Keto eliminates basically fruit. You can't even have fruit on keto and people are doing it. It's like, how, how, how is that? How, how does that make any sense? Can't even have fruit. So yeah. like, it's crazy though. I can see people... Uh they can go ahead and stack their beta alanine with their BCAAs and just flush their money down the toilet. It's about the same thing. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, like I said, it could give that extra small percentage and by small, I mean like less than a percent of improvement for you, but it's likely going to be because you're doing everything else right as well. So I think that that's a super important thing to mention. And yet it seems to work for Matt, whether it's placebo or not, it seems that he believes in it and he's the five-time fittest man on earth. So I guess that's it. That's his nutrition. That's what he does. That's what we think, you know, things that might, and you, you can specifically implement and maybe things that you want to probably not try and they might just be very unique to him and his genetics. Uh, so yeah, Emily, this was, uh, this was amazing. I need to have you back on a podcast again, talking about something else when, you know, you're not all busy all the time, you know? <laughs> hey, the RD life is, is a busy life. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And we're uh, obviously really super, super happy to have you on as a CBG coach, uh, the first registered dietitian we've had and your expertise that you bring to us and the clients that uh, we have is, uh, is super awesome. So Definitely let people know where they can find you on Instagram and everywhere else. And then I'll uh, close this out. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it's been cool. Um, and I'm always down to uh, talk nutrition anytime. Actually, super exciting. I just changed my Instagram handle this week to add my RD credential. So I can be found on Instagram at mswags.rd actually don't have a Twitter anymore. Um, so that's really about it. I'm tagged in a couple of the CBG posts um, and we'll continue to contribute to those. But yeah. Perfect. Instagram, you can find anybody on Instagram. Nobody has Twitter. So yeah. And obviously, if you guys are uh, specifically looking to work with Emily uh, and you're a performance athlete or someone that's looking to lose weight or achieve body recomposition or just get a better handle on your nutrition and nutrition protocols, you can always find us at consistencybreedsgrowth.com. You can email us at consistencybreedsgrowth at gmail.com. You can find us at on Instagram at cbg underscore online underscore sports. Don't forget to join that Facebook page. And uh, also, you know, our micro podcasts come out every single Monday. We appreciate all of you that listen to us every single week. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. It's science. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. Keep tuning in every week for more incredible guests and ways to reach your max potential, both physically and mentally. Please subscribe on iTunes or your preferred podcast app and let us know if you like this episode. Don't forget to check us out at consistencybreedsgrowth.com or on Instagram at cbg underscore online underscore sports for details on upcoming nutrition challenges or one-on-one coaching for weight loss, wellness, or performance. Also, feel free to join our free Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash groups slash CBG Nutrition Tribe.